Hello everybody, this is uh, a sermon for Galatians 5, 13 to 26. It is the 10th sermon in our series on Galatians and it's called Spirit-Led Freedom. With the spread of the coronavirus, we feel imprisoned. The talk is of lockdown. Some of us are now physically restricted to our homes and none of us can socialise the way we want to. It is a difficult and upsetting situation. However, at the same time, in a strange sort of way, we have also been set free. We are free from work, free from meetings and committees, and free from the usual routine, which can at times get stale and wearisome. What are we going to do with this freedom? It may be that our minds immediately take us to those things we've been meaning to do for ages, but have not had the time to get around to. Housework or gardening, painting or model making, books to read, films to watch, sleeping. All of these are good and pleasurable and a welcome tonic to the daily news. But of course our freedom could be used for even better things. We have the freedom to spend more time investing in our relationship with God, reading his word, praying, moments of reflection and worship. We also have the freedom to spend more time serving others. Even with the restrictions in place, we could still write that long delayed letter or email to a family member or friend overseas. Spend time with our children, showing our delight in them. Collect food for someone in self-isolation. Ring someone who is lonely. Freedom opens up all sorts of opportunities. However, they are only realised if we consciously choose to use that freedom well. Freedom from restraint, if it is to be of any use, must be matched by a sense of freedom for a particular purpose. Over the last nine weeks, we've been reading Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we have found it to be a treatise on freedom. Remember verse 1 of chapter 5? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Galatians have found that Jesus has set them free from their pagan past. They no longer have to tour around temples to the gods offering sacrifices. They no longer have to complete complicated rituals if they want a good harvest or a baby or a safe journey. They no longer have to fear a thunderbolt from the sky caused by them accidentally not remembering to keep one of the many gods happy. They are free from religious slavery, free from spiritual blackmail, free from fear. But Paul's message has gone even further than that. They are also free from the obligation of keeping all the minutiae of the Jewish law. After believing in Christ, the Galatians had come under pressure to also convert to Judaism. Jewish nationalists had told them that to become acceptable to God, they needed Jesus, and then they also needed to follow all of the Jewish law. They needed to become circumcised, to eat kosher food, and to observe all the festivals and sacred days. In short, they needed Jesus and they needed to become Jews. Throughout the letter, Paul has rigorously refuted these demands. Through Christ, they were forgiven their sin. 
Through Christ, they were made acceptable to God. Through Christ, they have already been embraced into his family. There is now nothing more the Galatians need do. Indeed, for them to now start following the law, to try and earn God's favour for themselves, would be to fall again into slavery. Paul is adamant, they must not do this. They have been set free. The question the Galatians now face is, what are they going to do with that hard-won freedom? How are they going to use it? This is the question Paul turns to in chapters 5 and 6 of the letter. These chapters are Paul's practical application of all the important doctrine he has been given to the Galatians. He wants them now to start living well. Last week, Paul's foremost desire for how followers of Jesus are to use their freedom was made clear. This is Galatians 5, 13-14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. The Galatians and all of Paul's readers, including us today, have not been set free to now start doing whatever they like. For example, they're not free to start living selfishly and in animosity with others. They've been set free for a particular purpose. They've been set free to love. Paul quotes here the words of Jesus when he was asked, what was the greatest commandment? Jesus had replied that we are to love God and love our neighbours as ourselves. Indeed, loving our neighbours was how we showed our love for God. It was the fulfilment of the law that God asked us to obey. All Christians, then, have been set free to love, to love our neighbours as ourselves. However, every single one of us knows that this is a difficult command to keep. It is hard to love our neighbours. It is hard to love them even when they are good to us. It's even harder when they are very different to us or make life difficult for us or live by different values. It's hard to love the neighbour who plays their music too loud. It's hard to love the neighbour who has drug addicts coming to the door. It's hard to love the neighbour who practices a different faith. So how do we go about keeping this command? Where do we even begin? Three times in this passage, the answer to that important question comes. We can only use our freedom to love our neighbours with the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen again, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. In the Greek, live by the Spirit is in the present tense. It would be better rendered, go on living in the Spirit. In other words, live in the habit of the Spirit. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit. These words give the sense of a life lived following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Paul is asking the Galatians to allow the power of the Spirit to direct their lives. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. This time we get a sense of a life guided by the Spirit, a walking in line with the Spirit following him like army troops on a parade ground. Put these three together and you get a conclusive answer on how to start living a life of love towards our neighbours. It can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit will guide us through our consciences. The Spirit will then empower us to follow our consciences. The Spirit will give us both the inspiration and the enablement required for us to become like Jesus. The question is now, will we listen to the Spirit? Will we follow the Spirit? Will we form the habits of the Spirit? Will we use our freedom to play our part in serving others? The Spirit wants to lead us into love. Will we allow him? When a criminal leaves jail, they face a stark choice. How will they use their freedom? Will they return to their old ways or will they go straight? From the moment they leave the prison gates, a battle begins. The pull of the old way of life can be very hard to ignore. It's what they know. They have friends and accomplices there. There may be ready money to be made. In addition to that, going straight is difficult, particularly when many companies won't offer work to those with a criminal record. Consequently, as they stand at those exit gates, the battle begins. A battle of body, mind and soul. Paul pictures the Christian life as a battle between the flesh, or the sinful nature, and the spirit. A battle that constantly rages, so you can never be off your guard. Paul wants the Galatians and us to be clear that this is not a hopeless battle. At one stage, we all lived according to the sinful nature. But Christ came to rescue us. When he died on the cross, he put that sinful nature to death. Our sinful nature, if we believe in him. Then when he rose again, he made new life possible for us all. A life lived in the spirit. Returning to my illustration from a moment ago, we are now the prisoner released. We have a very real choice now. We do not have to go back to how we lived in the past. We can live in a new way, a way of life and love. It's difficult, but we have the help we need. We have the spirit. Paul goes on to stress this point in verses 19 to 23 by comparing what a life lived according to the flesh looks like in comparison to a life lived by the spirit. In verses 19 to 21, we see the characteristics of a life lived in the sinful nature. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. This is a vision of a society where every person uses their freedom to do what they want. They think this will make them happy, but it only leads to sadness, pain and destruction. What is more, when God finally establishes his kingdom on Christ's return, people who are still choosing to live like this will find no place in it. This is not the sort of society God wants to create or spend time in. Now compare that to the type of living the Spirit wants to lead us into. Verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is a vision of society where Christians use their freedom to follow the Spirit and live a life of love. This is the type of community God always intended for humanity and one day will reign forever. 
These verses give us a wonderful picture of what life can and will look like. Paul's message is simple. He invites us to choose it. Indeed, he urges the Galatians and us on the release from the prison of our past to start living in this way. This is not a one-off decision, just as it's not a one-off decision for an ex-convict to go straight. It's a constant daily battle to do the right thing. But in the power of the Spirit, it is possible and it sure is worth it in the end. Just before we finish, it's worth us coming at this teaching from one other angle. In this passage, Paul mixes his metaphors. He goes from the battlefield in verse 17 to the garden in verse 22. We all know this passage as being about the fruit of the Spirit. So let us turn to thinking about fruit to make sure we really understand what Paul is saying here. Think of a beautiful orchard with ripe, juicy apples growing on the trees. The first thing to say is that those fruit grow naturally. In the new life given us by Jesus, the Spirit is at work trying to produce this fruit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control are the natural output of what the Spirit is doing. Think about it. When someone you know comes to faith, you can instantly see a difference in them. Their motivation and attitude changes. It's a change so deep we could not manufacture it or fake it. We could not in any way realise it on our own. The change in the person is the natural consequence of the spirit flooding into their life. But when you return to those fruit of the orchard, we know that although the fruit grow naturally, they also need to be tended to and nurtured if they're really going to reach their best. We think of a gardener or a farmer hard at work. The spirit does not bypass our will or our thinking. If we want to live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, then we have to set our minds and intentions to it. It's not a case of just relaxing into it and these things appear. We all know from experience that these fruit do not grow unless we cooperate with what the Spirit wants to do within us. Like a gardener, we have to put effort in. We have to show vigilance. This is why Paul commands his readers to keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. But that said, there is all the difference in the world between trying to produce these fruit by our own effort compared to producing them by responding to the indwelling Spirit of Christ who loves us, enables us and encourages us. I hope we get the message. Without the Spirit, we have no hope of loving our neighbours. With the Spirit, it is certainly possible, even natural for us. But it will always require work and effort on our part as well. It will require the conscious choice to live a new life. The conscious choice to try and become like Jesus. We began by thinking of how, in a strange way, the coronavirus has brought a new freedom to us. That's nothing compared to the freedom from sin, fear and death that Christ brings. But the decision to be made now still stands the same. How will we use that freedom? Will we use it just to indulge our own selfish desires 
Or will we use it to love? Will we use it to go on living in the flesh? Or to start living by the Spirit? Our world needs to see and experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control as much as ever. God wants to bring it to those in need through us, his people. Will we allow him?